Are you listening? What's up, everybody? Luke Thomas. This is the Monday Morning Analyst. Uh, this is a shorter podcast than I do normally in the live chat. This one's only about 30 minutes or so. A lot to get to on today's podcast. I'm going to try and give the things that matter the most the right amount of attention. As always, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at SBN Luke Thomas, or you can email me at Luke.Thomas at SBNation.com. So four things I think we have to get to. So we have World Series of, excuse me, we have Bellator on Friday night, then World Series of Fighting on Saturday night, UFC on last night, and then I want to make a brief mention, if I can, of uh, Berman or Bermain Stavern versus Deontay Wilder. So let's just go in chronological order, and then that's the way we'll do it. Uh, so on Friday night, we had Bellator 132. There were four bouts on the main card, only three of which we'll touch on for our purposes here today. The first of which was Fernando Gonzalez took on Marcin Held. He won via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the board. This was a bit of a weird fight. It was really the kind of fight that I thought Fernando Gonzalez was going to win if it looked like that, which is to say, Zoromskis is a high-risk taker. He does big movements, both you know defensively to move around or to like launch a strike, which makes him easily to count, easy to counter, but also if he lands, there's you know high-risk, high-reward if he hits you with one of those things. Um, it's a big to-do, and if he moves out, he can reset the whole exchange between you two. Fernando Gonzalez would have kept it close, but what the weird part was that Zoromskis obliged him. They were just sort of like doing jab-jab-cross, but not you know not at a length, not at distance, just these sort of basic combinations that were just repeated over and over and over and over again, fighting in a phone booth. It's not the way Zoromskis wins. He was able to get Gonzalez occasionally with a step-through knee, because uh, you know Gonzalez is sort of bending over, sometimes trying to dig to a body, dig for an uppercut, or to dodge a hook. So there, so Zoromskis had some of that going for him. That looked like, you know, a more polished Zoromskis in that sense. But he basically obliged Gonzalez with the way Gonzalez would have won that fight. Gonzalez, and I mentioned it before, I picked him to win. Like Zoromskis has a name, Gonzalez doesn't. Gonzalez's record is deceiving. Uh, he's not particularly like he doesn't have like a signature offensive thing that he does, but he doesn't make a lot of mistakes. Number one and number two, like. He has a conventional skill set, but it's but it's a good conventional skill set. Like I don't mean that to be demeaning. Like he's got a lot of basic things that he does really well, but the basics work. Like that, that that's a, that's that's not a bad place to be in mixed martial arts. And as he proved, he beat Marius Sorovskis on national TV. So um, nothing particularly you want to point out in an exchange here or there. Maybe the step through knee I noticed from Sorovskis was sort of his best weapon in the fight, but didn't get enough of it. Faded towards the end. Gonzalez looks, you know, doesn't look like chisel from stone, but obviously it was a great gas tank, and, and he won the fight. Uh, Virgil Swicker defeated Houston Alexander. Split decision: 29-28, 27-30, and then 29-28. This doesn't deserve comment. Uh, Georgie Karakanian defeated Bubba Jenkins by guillotine choke at 149 of the very first round. This was actually kind of interesting because uh, Bubba Jenkins, you know what? He has made improvements. Um, I thought he did well in the initial exchange. So here's what I mean. So he comes out, catches a kick from Karakani and immediately like lifts him for a like a high crotch and then dumps him. Okay. And then what does Karakani do? Karakani is expecting this. Like you know a single or a double is coming if you're fighting Bubba Jenkins, at least at this stage in his game. So he had a whole series of arming guillotines ready to rock, man. And uh, he was 
kind of always having a little bit of an issue with the first exchange getting on a hip or isolating Bubba Jenkins. Uh, and he was, Bubba Jenkins did a good job of fighting the hands constantly, rolling to his back when he needed to, and then going base over to get, you know, to, to win the scramble. So I thought the first time he did well, then they separated, and then it happened again. He got another guillotine. Uh, the issue here was referee Herb Dean. Did he do enough in the bout to warrant some kind of uh, reprimand or censure or at least criticism on a basic level? I would say that probably so. You see Karakanian basically screaming, he's out, he's out, from like a half-guard guillotine. Um, arm in on the side, same side he wanted it on, and and Dean was there looking. Like it wasn't like he was you know ten feet away. He was there looking, uh, partially kind of Jenkins' his arms were trapped. He went out, but you can see Karkanian screaming to him. He went out, and he went out, and he went out, and Dean doesn't do a whole lot about it until a little bit too late. In the end, um, Jenkins was fine, but uh, this was one that you should have expected. Karkanian had beat Lance Palmer. I'm not sure what I like Jenkins a lot, but I'm not sure what he does that's any better than Lance Palmer. Um, you know, I mean, maybe he's a slightly better wrestler, but that, for MMA purposes, that difference is probably marginal. And I think Lance Palmer has uh, come a little bit more of a longer way in terms of his striking and, and overall approach to the game. The options are available to him in a way that they just aren't for for Bubba Jenkins. Now it took longer, I suppose, for uh, for uh, Karkani to get uh, past Lance Palmer, but um, you get the idea. And then the main event, great main event. Patricio Freire defended his title against Daniel Strauss by Rina Kachuk at 4.49 of the fourth round. There were a lot of fouls in this bout in various rounds where it looked like it was a groin kick and then it was an eye poke or vice versa. It happened several times before a point was taken. Strauss had a point taken, I believe. I have to go back and check, but I believe in the, in the second round, I want to say. In the end, though, that's not really, I mean, you, if you want to make a talk about the judging, not, excuse me, not the judging, but the officiating, we can do that in the live chat. But just in terms of the technique, it was interesting to see uh, Strauss's hand speed was incredible in this bout, you know, not not just early on, but throughout the bout, really able to cover distance in a really uh, dramatic way, especially with his straight punches. Um, he was pressuring Freire backward to get Freire to react so then he could use his you know, brilliant speed to then counter Freire. Freire has a, you know, obviously he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a little tank, but he does have a reach differential that is hard to not notice. Um, so that was a big problem for him. And and early on, uh, Strauss was winning the bout. I mean, for the first three rounds, it's not hard to argue that Strauss was the guy who was in charge. He really was, you know, it was kind of incredible in that way. But towards the end, and this was, always happens with Daniel Strauss, he made a really, 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 really poor decision. What used to be Strauss's problem was that he would just sort of like, waft through a fight where he would just sort of do what his opponent was doing do it slightly better and then the decision would come if the guy was good enough he would put him or bad enough i should say he would put him away but against better guys he would just kind of float he has he has fixed that problem right but sometimes in the ways in which he has fixed that problem he makes poor decisions to keep his offense proactive so it's like he's got the right idea but then he just makes a bad decision in application of that idea um, now against Friday, it's hard to make a lot of good decisions. Understand that this is what the criticism I'm making here is very minor. But he did lose. He lost in a similar way that he would lose to Pat Curran. So how did it end? Well, fourth round, um, I believe he had uh, Friday. It was a takedown exchange, and Friday uh, was on the side of him, and then stepped over with his left leg, stepped over the legs of Strauss, and that should have been the signal to not do what he did, which was he locked up a Kimura grip. Now everyone asks me, like, why would you lock up a Kimura grip like that when you know it's not secure? For folks who may not know, I mean, 
A Kimura grip, a double wrist lock, it's like the strongest grip you can have. Even, even with a gi, it's like the strongest grip you can have. It's such a powerful grip that I think it's alluring to people. That they want to lock it up even when it's bad positions because they feel like it's security. Like if I, if I just lock this up, then I know you, my opponent, have to respect it. And that's true, you do. But the difference was, it's actually, people were like, well, he didn't lock it up with any form of guard. That's true. That's not my biggest complaint. He locked it up with no form of guard while Freire had stepped over the legs. That is the difference. Because if someone locks up a Kimura on you and they don't have guard, they can do what the Keenan Cornelius showed this once on uh, This Week in BJJ or, or one of those BJJ podcasts. Uh, I've tried it. I'm not very good at it because I'm not nearly as mobile as, as Keenan or, you know, not Keenan in any respect whatsoever. But you get the idea. If, if, if Freddie had been like he was on the side, like he had passed Strauss and not, you know, virtually mounted him, Strauss could have used that Kimura grip to whip around and take the back. That is a very possible real thing to do. But what happened was Freddie had stepped over the legs. And once you do that, there's no ability to spin. And once you step over the legs, all you got to do is take the back. That's it. He didn't, which is exactly what he did. And, you know, from there, you got a black belt like that on your back. It's going to be hard to fight him off, even as talented as Daniel Strauss is. So, to me, it's like everyone's like, oh, you know, Strauss choked. I don't really see it like that. I mean, I mean he, well, he literally choked. But I actually, I, I want to compliment him in a way because I know what he's doing. He's trying to keep the offense moving in ways in which he did not used to do, in ways he used to give away rounds. Some of his fights were a little bit closer than they should have been because he just gave away rounds. Um, or at least gave away minutes of rounds. He'd be like, damn, dude, what are you doing? Like, you're better than this guy. He was trying to keep the offense moving, but it was a poor decision in that respect. So, you know, um, criticism is worthy there, but otherwise, he'd, he'd do a party. So job. let's move to Saturday night, World Series of Fighting. Not much to say about this. Main event, uh, Jake Shields took Brian Foster down, passed him out, choked him out. Not much complicated about this. He'll now face uh, Husamar Palhares. Uh, at some undetermined date. I still like Jake Shields to win that bout, believe it or not, but um, that's going to be a fun one to see. Probably the best fight you can make, I won't say outside the UFC, but it's one of the better ones outside the UFC for sure. Also, Joe Condon had a great uh, choke on Jonathan Nunez. You ever notice, like when Cain Velasquez, sometimes when, he, when, when Junior Dos Santos would threaten a guillotine, he would roll to his back to, to break it, to avoid it? Because sometimes you want to lean to get a certain angle, and so you give them that angle. Because it, it ultimately takes away the angle, right? So you, so you sort of go where the choke does not work, and then you break the hands and move from there. So you see Condon trying to roll, or rather you should see Nunez trying to roll to his back, um, but he gets his legs trapped by Condon. Condon doesn't let him, and but he still has the crank slash choke. So his shoulders, like Nunez's shoulders and back, uh, shoulders in the back of the head are on the mat. He's getting like murdered, but his hips are getting turned the other way. Because of his leg, so that was a brutal choke. But other than that, there's really not much to say about uh, World Series of Fighting. Uh, also on Saturday night, Deontay Wilder became the new WBC heavyweight champion of the world on Showtime by defeating Bermain, Berman Stavern. Um, this was a, uh, it slowed down towards the end, and I'm told that he may have had an eye injury, Deontay Wilder, going into the fight. But nevertheless, uh, Deontay Wilder, best fight of his career, selling his pro career, right? Um, six, seven guy, used a great jab. Had a really great jab, kept space, um, didn't gas out, didn't overcommit, didn't get countered too many times. I think uh, Paulie Malignaggi had noted on the broadcast that, well, look, you know, we got a guy here in Bermain Stervin, Stavern, excuse me, who is going to wait for Deontay Wilder to overcommit, to make a mistake, to try to throw something he knows he shouldn't throw in that space, and then have the more seasoned, 
you know, um, uh, it's not just being a more decorated boxer, but like the cleaner technician of the two, um, take advantage of it. And it, maybe one or two of those materialized in the whole fight. Dante Wilder did a great job of just not giving a lot of offensive opportunities for Stavern. Now, Stavern, on the other hand, as they noted on the broadcast, he never cut off the ring. He just followed Deontay Wilder. Now, Wilder was always using the jab to keep him off of him. There was very little of this fight that was on the ropes unless Stavern was on the ropes. Um, so that's a, credit, that's a credit to Deontay Wilder. But he had great cardio, great jab. Um, you know, again, he never was a big body work guy, so he did a lot of head hunting. He rocked Severn several times. I, if it wasn't, if the round had been 20 minutes longer, 20 minutes, 20 seconds longer, I think in the, was it when the second or third round, when he, he dropped him. He got saved by the bell, uh, so to speak. But, but Dante Wilder can bang, dude. He has sick power. So, you know, listen, I didn't see anything there that was like, wow, this guy's going to beat, um, you know, uh, you know, Klitschko and go on to be the greatest heavyweight of all time. But it was a great performance for his career. It was uh, entertaining. Fight slowed down pretty dramatically towards the end. I think both guys were just didn't have an... Stavern just didn't really know what to do. I mean, he kind of came on very, very late in the 12th round. But even then, Wilder really never took the bait a whole lot to just sort of have a firefight with him in place where he could, you know, lose. Um, so, so I would say, you know, the 9th, 10th, 11th rounds weren't the most exciting. But there wasn't a lot of clinching, right? There was very few referee breaks and the two just laying on each other. That's rare for a heavyweight fight. A lot of big power punching, a lot of moments of hype, a lot of moments of, of oh my God, what's about to happen next? Moments where you knew if one punch landed an inch to the left, someone might go to sleep. So uh, hugely entertaining. Stavern, really though, the key criticism there is just not cutting off the ring, just following Wilder. Um, and I'm not sure why. I'm not sure if he didn't want to force certain kinds of exchanges. You would think you would want to, to pressure him. But I don't know. It's hard to say exactly what he was thinking there. But anyway, Deontay Wilder is your new champion of the world. Uh, I believe the the uh, the uh, so let me read you the scores here. Well, uh, oh, uh, sorry. Well, I don't have the scores because Wikipedia is whoring me. But uh, so, uh, Deontay Wilder now thirty three and O um, is the first American heavyweight champion. Some were saying since I'm not sure who. Uh, Michael Moore, that could be wrong. But anyway, it's been a while. All right, so let's go back to MMA. This is the big one. Um, Sunday night, UFC Fight Night 1959. Conor McGregor doing what he does. Let's go through this card. Again, I'm not going to go through every bout because not every bout is worth going through. Uh, this one took place at the TD Garden in Boston. It uh, pulled an attendance of 13,828. Uh, did a buy rate of one point. Excuse me, a uh, a live gate. Excuse me of 1.34 million, which I would consider very good. It's a, not a Saturday night. It's not Las Vegas. It's not a pay-per-view. That's a, it's a, that's a very decent, respectable number, so the UFC should be very happy with that. By the way, I didn't give any ratings for it. Bellator would have given a, um, you know, a two and a half for what it is. World Series of Fighting, I'd give a one and a half. Boxing is just one fight, so I wouldn't give a rating to. Um, for this event, for this card, I would give this about, uh, I don't know, I'd give it a 2, to be perfectly honest. Now, I'm kind of grading on a scale. This 2 is not the same 2 as Bellator, and maybe that's not fair, but it's just, you can't, you know, you got to grade them on a curve a little bit here. Um, the overall card was just tons of filler. Tons of filler. And people are asking me, like, why are they doing this? One, I think they want to make sure they keep adding stuff to the Fight Pass library. I think 2 is that they want to fill up enough hours of broadcast time. Um... You know, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, three, you know, when you see a fight car that's got like 13 or 14 fights on it, 
a lot of times the UFC just owes these guys fights, so they got to put them on something. And so that's fine if you're if that's your aunt. People are like, well, that's, that's my aunt, so that's why they do that. Okay, that's fine. But that doesn't mean it's like I have to like be okay with that, right? That doesn't mean I have to be like, oh, that's an awesome thing. <laughs> that doesn't mean that doesn't mean I have to say, oh, well, like, like you realize if that if, if that's the case, like these are the reasons why they're doing it because they owe Fox a certain amount of fights for a certain amount of broadcast time, a certain amount of times a year, and a certain amount of cities. That's fine. Like that's a totally understandable thing. But then you also have to acknowledge this is not high level stuff. Right. If this is if this is if this exists to fulfill contract demands um, more so than it does to fill uh, understand you know who are the best among the best or at least who, who are the next best ones maybe rising prospects in the undercard um, then you have to acknowledge what it is. This is completely indistinguishable from things you could see on a Bellator World Series of Fighting. Vast majority of the fights. So in that sense, it was just like ah. Ugh. You know what I mean? I know I'm hard on the UFC for that kind of stuff, and I, and I truly, I mean this. Sometimes I feel bad about it. I really do. It's kind of like, because their best product is so good, but at the same time, it's so unbelievably frustrating. It's so frustrating that the best organization in the world that has the best fights, that has main events like they have, it has Conor McGregor's and John Jones's and Chris Weidman's and Ronda Rousey's and, and everything else. It has so much filler. So much filler. And it just, it's hard to watch. It, these events are super long. These guys, this is not what I watched the UFC for. You get the idea. All right, so let's go through the card. Um, two cards, two fights on the Fight Pass card. Joby Sanchez defeated uh, Tateki Matsuda via split decision, 29-28, 28-29, 30-27. I, I had it pretty clear, I think, two two rounds to one for Joby Sanchez. I may have had three. I, I wasn't scoring in real time, but that was sort of a feeling that I, I had when I was over. Joby Sanchez is actually a really good wrestler, and he didn't use much of that in this fight. Could have been on purpose, um, but basically outstruck Matsuda, knocked him down several times, um, which made the split decision sort of hard to understand, but the judging in Boston last night was just, I mean, some of the worst I've seen in a long time. Um, anyway, Joby Sanchez, good prospect, but a guy who's known for, like, I think I would say really pushing grappling exchanges and being um, a dominant wrestler, just not that I think he chose not to do that this time. Striking, nothing to write home about yet, but we'll see what happens to his prospect. Uh, Sean O'Connell defeated Matt Van Buren via TKO at 2-11 in the third round. This guy fired of the night, which to me is just like the most like insane thing I've ever heard. But uh, look, Matt Van Buren is a guy who grew up in uh, Virginia. You can see the tattoo on him. I've called several of his fights. I called him when he fought at Washington Combat and UWC. Good guy, tall, lanky. He's now at Alliance. He's gotten a lot better. But, um, you know, these are two guys who I don't think have a fairly long future necessarily in the UFC. Um, a lot of really... Uh, slow striking, a lot of big punches that were just hoping to land. Eventually they did. Not a lot of setups. Um, some decent defensive work in the clinch, I thought, actually, between the two. Um, especially on Van Buren's side, but Van Buren just, I mean, Joe Rogan highlighted it straight up in the air. No head movement, no parrying jabs, nothing. Just, um, there's so many MMA gyms, even good ones, that just produce guys who, who don't take boxing seriously. They, they take... They, they have big power, and they like big punches. And they might have something else they do really well. I actually think Matt Van Buren's much better on the ground than he is standing. I've seen his groundwork. It's actually pretty good. Um, and so they just sort of say, you know what? This is, this is, this is what I need for striking. And it's like, dude, this is so far from what you need for striking at this level. Um, anyway, I can't believe they got fired tonight. But Sean O'Connell won uh, basically a late comeback. Van Buren just got lit up with rights and lefts, big hooks. Tried to cover up, sort of stumbled, got back up, and O'Connor went after him. And 
Not a lot to say. Charles Rosa defeated uh, Sean. Excuse me. I don't know how I coffee yet. Charles Rosa defeated Sean Soriano via Darce Choke uh, at 4.43 of the third round. There's some controversy about the tap, but it's a tap if you ask me. Um, Soriano looked good, you know, stuffing takedowns, really pumping a jab, uh, you know, going left uh, hook, right to the body, left leg kick, you know, side to side, up and down, and putting all the strikes together. Looked awesome, and Rosa really had no answer, particularly for the leg kicks, but goddamn, man, if this is not a game where if you're just a hungry junkyard dog and you move forward and you constantly apply pressure, that is a form of strength. And I don't mean like strength strength, I mean like like uh, metaphorical strength. Like it's really hard to deal with a guy who just does that all the time. It's really, really difficult. It's so hard. And he was constantly applying pressure and constantly staying on him and constantly getting him in his face, eventually backing him up, you know, it was crazy. Um, so he was taking damage the whole time, and Soriano was able to stuff a lot of takedowns and, and doing some good things, not just stuffing takedowns, but creating separation. But, the th uh, but in the second round, you saw that if, if uh, you saw him going for, you saw, you saw Rosa go for leg locks, and he couldn't quite get him, but what you did see was, Rosa's one of these guys who initiates grappling exchanges. Okay, the guy who initiates grappling exchanges is almost always going to be the guy that wins them. Um, and, and you can see Rosa loves that. Initiates something, gets a guy to react, changes the nature of it, and then comes out on top. That's exactly what his game was in that second round. Third round, Soriano looked like he was going from a strike from the clinch. It looked like he pulled guard. He didn't pull guard. He slipped. And as he slipped, Rosa got on top. Um, from there, the, the Darce choke. So the Darce choke, he, he had it. Um, you notice that, uh, I talked about, you know, Chidi Kawani not going over the underhook, um, he didn't need to. There was no underhook, so he just he just went under the arm. And the arm was sort of laying there, and when it when it just lays there, when you finish the choke, you can actually put your chest on it so that the arm crushes them even more, uh, which he did, and he got the tap. They were like, "Well, it was just one of these. It wasn't." Da -da 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 -da. I mean, you know, I understand that it may not necessarily have been a tap. It may, you may have been thinking about it. If you even think about it and you do one, I think that's enough for a referee to be like, "That's it." So Charles Russell was he was going to win the fight anyway. Well, I don't know. Well, he was the hometown guy. So he would have won that fight anyway. Uh, all right, Patrick uh, Houlihan. Houlihan defeated Shane Howell. You know, I like Patrick Houlihan. Patty seems like a cool guy. They brought in a guy for him. I mean, they didn't bring in a guy for him to lose, to, to lose too, but, or uh, for Houlihan uh, to beat. But um, Shane Howell just, I don't think he's got necessarily the longest future at this level. There's not a lot of offensive skills to speak of. Um, easy, you know, take, had to take down whenever he wanted it. Passed, spent a lot of time on the back. Uh, give Howell credit for incredible hand fighting, but other than that, not much to say. Uh, Chris Wade defeated uh, Zhang Lipang in one of the worst fights I've ever seen, 30-26 across the board. Just a horrible fight where two guys were just battling in the clinch. Wade constantly giving up underhooks. There was two things, though, that I will mention that I thought were kind of interesting. One was from the clinch, he had lost the underhook battle. Lipang had won it. So what? What it? Uh, he went for a head head toss, and everyone was like, "Oh, look at the great head toss that he had!" It was a great head toss, but if you watch it, he was walking backwards. Li Peng was pushing him, pushing him, pushing him. So he waited as as his opponent is walking in the direction you want to throw him. You wait, and then you turn and you throw him. So he got him with that. That was slick. Um, another one that I like that no one mentioned on the broadcast that was like it was my favorite part of the whole fight. I think Li Peng had gone for a throw. One of the two had gone for a throw, but it had been stalemated, okay? Wade had the... I'm going to knock this lamp over. Yeah. Wade had the... Uh, Wade had the overhook. Wade had the wizard. Okay, but they basically came up at the same time. So at that point, it's like, even scramble whoever wants it more is going to get it. 
Wade kept the overhook. Okay, so an, uh, an overhook is just, you know, on top of it, someone's underhook. That's it. Wade kept the overhook, but go back and watch. I think this is the third round, maybe. Drove his hips backwards. In other words, they're there. I'm here. I'm Chris Wade. Right here is, uh, you know, Zhang Li Peng. He's got an underhook. I got the overhook. Oh, we're even. I'm going to take my hips and I'm going to drive them, not just laterally, but in a circle like this into the fence. You see that on jujitsu passes, a guy will pass. You don't just like, oh, I got my knee sliced. I came to the side. Boom, here I am. You come to the side and then you drive your hips backwards. And it, and it rotates them to the other side. It puts their hips in the opposite direction. It takes away their strength. Uh, Chris Wade did that off of, a, off of a throw that ended in a neutral grappling moment. And I thought that was like, no one said anything on the broadcast. I was like, oh my God, that's the best part, man. He got up and drove that sucker's hips backward. That is not an easy thing to do. Uh, strong presence of mind, high level understanding of what that means to, to pressure someone like that. I thought that was actually really cool. It sounds small, but when you see things like that, um, it tells you that someone was thinking on his feet. Anyway, uh, Wade won 326 across the board. Uh, Lorenz Larkin looking like a beast over John Howard. Finished him at 217 in the first round. This was Larkin's first drop to welterweight. He looked incredible, had his speed. John Howard looked, you know, like normal John Howard. Wasn't much tape to see, but eventually this the speed differential was too much to deal with. A right snuck through, popped Howard. Howard uh, collapsed to the mat. I mean, not like crumbled, but you know, you could tell it was rocked, fell backwards. Larkin tried to follow up and eventually was able to do so. Actually begging referee, uh, I think it was Dean, maybe somebody else, referee Herbie to stop it, but whatever the case, the, the bout got stopped and, and, uh, and Larkin looked awesome. You know, Larkin's one of these guys who's looked great and who's looked bad and everyone's like, oh, he just needs to do this to get his, his stuff together. I don't know if welterweight is the final answer for him. We'll have to see. But what I do know is um, he finally looked like he had the mobility and the speed. Everything from a, from a... Sometimes these guys cut weight and it's like they're gaining one thing that they need, but they're giving up something else. It wasn't... like so, so, so it's a net win. You know what I mean? It didn't look like he was giving up anything. Like what did he give up to go down there? Okay, you know, he, the, the cut's probably a little tougher. But I mean, once he's replenished and he's fighting in there... What was he giving up exactly? I guess we'll see if the fight goes long, if his cardio has been affected, but uh, it just seems to me that that, that that this has been a long overdue. Uh, Carl Pendred defeated Sean Spencer via unanimous decision 29-28, 30-27, One of the worst robberies I've ever seen. True robbery, 100%, no doubt, no doubt about it, robbery. Sean Spencer was absolutely robbed. He completely outstruck Cajal Pendred for three rounds. Cajal was able to get takedowns intermittently. I think he got four of 16 or something. Was never able to do anything with them. Um, Sean Spencer didn't exactly like pop to his feet automatically, but basically neutralized them sooner or later to, to, no, to no real damage or you know, uh, no submission threat of any kind. No real, no real positional advancement from Cajal Pendred. This was, this was a disaster. This was an absolute disaster. 327 for Cajal Pendred is insanity. It is insanity. And he seems like a nice guy. It's not his fault. He doesn't go up there. He doesn't judge the fights. He just fights them. He easily, easily lost that fight. It is, it is, it is, it is, it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't even deserve comment in a way. Because it's so outrageous. Um, poor Sean Spencer. But uh, Cajal Pendred, um, he just doesn't have striking for this level. Not yet. Um... You know, I saw people joking that, you know, he, CM Punk could beat him. No, CM Punk would get washed by Cajal Pendred, but that's just what I'm telling you, like, the level of the game that we're talking about. He's got decent, he's got great aggression. He's got decent uh, against-the-cage takedowns. Um, 
but he doesn't hold guys down very well. He doesn't pass. He doesn't take back in, a, in like a smooth way where he's waiting for you to move or he tries to, you know, encourage you to move in a certain way and then takes advantage. He just sort of like, just sort of tries to bully you in every position and that works. He's better at it in some things than others, but his striking is just, you know, there's just not a lot there to talk about. There's not a lot of fluidity. There's not a lot of combinations. There's no real footwork to speak of. Um, he's got probably got good power, but um, he needs a, he needs a tremendous amount of work. But that was one of the worst robberies I've ever seen. Uh, all right, so then we move to the main card. Gleason Tebow taking on Norman Park. It was split decision. I had it for Tebow myself. Um, Park, I think I gave the last round to. Very, very close. Park did a great job of not really allowing Tebow to get the kind of takedowns he wanted. Both and Tebow, by the way, I like this because he does do takedowns against the cage, but as I mentioned before, takedowns in the center of the cage, I think to me is much more impressive and much more important. Um, and that was really where, uh, you know, you can see the background in judo of Park changing the angle on things, never really, uh, you know, when, when he would come in. Uh, a couple of knee taps were secured by Gleason Tebow, you know, block the knee on one side, come under the armpit on the other and drive at an angle. But um, other than that, there wasn't a whole lot to speak of. Striking was fairly mute on both parts. Uh, maybe Gleason Tebow did a little bit more body work. Fairly even, um, you know, decent leg kicks as well, but uh, but really it was just slightly more active than, than Norman Park. That's really all that it was. Uh, Uriah Hall defeated Ron Stallings via Dr. Stoppage with a terrible cut at 337 of the first round. This was, uh, yeah, this was ugly, right? Because he got his eyebrow split. I put it on my Facebook page. Luke or it's facebook.com slash Luke T Sports. And um, I know Ron Stallings. Uh, uh, years ago when I was just a white belt, uh, he was like my first BJJ, like one of the first guys I trained under who was teaching classes. Um, I haven't had talked to him in, you know, six or seven years or something, but, uh, but, uh, back then, 2005, uh, he was a uh, purple belt, I think. Um, he kind of gave up pure PJJ, BJJ for, uh, MMA and some other stuff, but, uh, he's a good technician, you know, I like Fernando Gonzalez, a little more conventional in his attacks. I would say a little bit slightly more polished than Fernando Gonzalez. Actually, I'd say it's significantly more polished, but still conventional in that way. You know, he, he understands the basics, but basics work good forward pressure. He has a decent clinch, likes to attack from there. Obviously, didn't get much of an opportunity in this fight, um, but um, but yeah. So what happens? He throws a punch. Hall slips it, counters it, drops him, and he Hall tries to finish. Lands a couple elbows. They get separated. When they get separated, Hall stands up. Excuse me. Stalling stands up and um, had just the nastiest gash ever. Not just here, but here as well. So probably a pretty good stoppage, you know, he had skin flapping. Um, not surprised they took the fight on like, you know, six days notice or something like that. Um, but, um, you know, it, I don't think the result would have been much different if they had trained fully for a camp. Probably a little bit. Um, but uh, Ron is a really good technician, but I just thought that what was really noticeable to me was Hall makes some goofy decisions sometimes, but he's just an insanely faster athlete. I think that would have caught him at some point regardless, you know. Because Stallings, he knows what he's doing. I know folks are joking. That's also be like, oh, this is the guy that Mickey Rourke fought. You know, no, dude, Stallings is legit. Stallings is legit. He's a, he's a, he's a good fighter, you know. Um, but I just think the athleticism differential is going to be really difficult for him to, to uh, overcome at, at this level of the game. Uh, Donald Cerrone defeated Benson Henderson on a, another appalling decision, 29-28, 29-28. Let me just say, I need to watch this fight again, because I always say this, if I live blog a fight, a lot of times my results in judging are um, um, provisional. 
not every time. Sometimes I feel like I can live blog and get the gist of a fight. Sometimes I need to review it because I had the first round 10-10. I had the last round 10-9 for Cowboy. Did I? No. Last one. Here's what I had. I had first round 10-10 and then the other two rounds for Henderson. And people are like, oh, second round, Henderson, uh, Cerrone came on strong. Maybe he did. I need to review the tape because if I'm live blogging, I'm doing this the whole time. And, and if it's a close fight like that where a few different things matter or the way in which someone does something matters, you can miss it. So I'll say that I'll hold off on my judging there. But even if, even if like, that's the case, you know, it's hard for me to be like, which two rounds did Cowboy win? I guess he won the second. Okay, fine. That's what everyone's saying. Uh, again, I'll, I'll go back and review. But then... The first, I don't know. And the other point is, like, even if you can say, okay, you can give two rounds for him, it was kind of close, blah, blah, blah. All right, fine. But, like, in the wake of all the other just bird s decisions, it's like, you don't deserve a break here. You're like, oh, well, okay, we don't have to criticize him here. It's like, this is just a pattern of, of fighter abuse is what this is. Uh, in any event, Henderson throwing a lot of, like, jabs to the leg, if you can believe that. A lot of front leg sidekicks. Um... Landed a good head kick towards the end of the fight and didn't follow up on it, which I thought was weird. Not a lot of groundwork at all. I think both guys realized that that can be a perilous situation for both of them, depending on how things go. Um, again, I thought this fight was going to be an average of the first two, which was not 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 as bad as the second and not as close as the first. I wanted to be closer than the first, so I was wrong in that way. Um, Cerrone, Cerrone looked a little like he wasn't pulling the trigger enough, getting enough offense in there. Good leg kicks from both guys, um, uh, but not not quite enough there. He threw a couple flying knees, but never had a whole lot on them. Um, in fact, the guys who I thought had the best knees were Ben Henderson. You know, Sorry is known for that check knee, but I thought Henderson had the better of the knees. Um, in the end, though, second loss in a row for Ben Henderson, uh, sort of a bad spot for him. But um, he says he can do all things through Christ, so there you go. Uh, a main event, and then we'll just end this here. Uh, the fight was ended between Conor McGregor and Dennis Seaver at 154 of the second round. Put this computer down. Um, yeah, this was uh, it was everything I expected it to be. Let me just say about Conor McGregor a couple things. He is an excellent fighter. You know, I mentioned this on Twitter. We always talk about, oh, he's a big mouth, and he got this because of that, and he got this because of that. And maybe all that's true. Maybe he did get where he is because he has a big mouth, and... People all from his country love him. Maybe all that's true. Even if it is true, that's got nothing to do with the fact that that dude can fight. He can really, really, really fight. He is a very good fighter. Um, whether he deserves a title shot over Frank Yeager is a debate for another day. Uh, it's kind of over. You saw the rivalry that he and Aldo have. People want to see it. It's going to happen. Uh, it's probably going to happen in Las Vegas soon. But uh, you get the idea. That's what we're working with here. So as for the fight itself, Seaver lasted you know longer than I think most folks expected. Um, Here's what I saw from McGregor, because this is the most important part. One, uh, if you want to beat McGregor, you need to take him out of his comfort zone. Because he's in there with, like, manifest destiny. He believes that he's going to go in there and just win with ease. And so he tries things, and he's totally comfortable. You need to make him panic. You need to make him defensive. You need to make him back up. You need to make him do things that... Uh, second guess himself and that's going to be very hard to do it obviously easier said than done but you certainly can't do what everyone else is doing which is just letting him go out there and paint this masterpiece for people um that was one secondly how about the takedown defense not that great but getting up i thought was really good he was able to get up pretty quickly dennis Seaver's not your best wrestler but we at least got some bit, bit of an answer 
uh, as to whether he can defend takedowns. I don't think he can defend takedowns that great, but it looks like he can get up really easily. And I think that might be obviously something to, to keep in mind. That can be exhausting over time, depending on how long it takes, but you get the idea. So there's that. Secondly, um, and Dennis Seaver noted it, the guy's accuracy, the guy's creativity, and the guy's ability to measure distance. So he'll pop you short, get you to move a certain way, and you think you're in an out-of-range safe zone, and then he doesn't really leap into it. He's just able to connect at that space as well. So he connects at all these different ranges in very short succession. Really important to watch. I think he has good power. Um, and no one talked about the leg drag pass where he... Leg, so an arm drag is if I, have, if I have your wrist and I have the back of your arm and I pull it to the side and I can get an angle on you, that's a leg drag. Oh, that's an arm drag. A leg drag is when your hips are going this way. I'm between, I have one leg between your legs and your hips and your, your shoulders are going the other way. So you're, you're flattening them in opposite directions. Um, he used the leg drag to then pass to mount. You switch your own legs and you just basically just sort of slide over into the top position. That's that's indication of two things to me. One, great presence of mind to to pick that dominant position. And two, you know, leg drag is not the most like complicated barambolo thing, but it just sort of indicates a certain, again, a comfort level and an, enough of an understanding of the game to apply certain things at certain moments. I thought that was really cool. Um, what else did I see from Conor McGregor? I thought was awesome. Good cardio, good chin. You know, was kind of forcing a couple of exchanges against the fence. Seaver caught him a couple times. Didn't seem to hurt him at all. So, listen, Conor McGregor is an excellent, excellent, excellent fighter. Is he going to beat Jose Aldo? I don't know. I think that Aldo's leg kicks are going to give him a problem. Then again, McGregor's forward pressure on Aldo is going to give Aldo a problem. So, you know, I would favor Aldo if you're asking me up front. But um, I think if folks are going there and expecting Conor McGregor to get blown out, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Conor McGregor can fight, and you need to accept it, and he's very, very good, and you can hate him, and you can hate, he drives me crazy when he doesn't pronounce the letter H when, when a T is in front of it, sort of drives me nuts, but the dude can ball, he can absolutely 100% fight, he is an incredible world-class elite fighter, and we should take time to appreciate that fact, if nothing else. Uh, he is also the fighter of the card, Jake Shields the fighter of the card for World Series of Fighting, Deontay Wilder for obviously his, and then on Bellator, I am actually going to give that to... Um, Georgia Karakanian, even though some might say it should go to Juicy Ofrede. Uh, with that said, follow me on Twitter at SBN Luke Thomas. I'm on Facebook, facebook.com slash Luke T Sports. You may also email me at luke.thomas at SBNation.com. This has been the Monday Morning Analyst. Thank you for your patience. See you guys next week.